Welcome to Team Genius Audio. I'm your host and coach, George Fushing. Thanks for tuning in to discover strategies, expertise, and techniques to help all teams become dream teams. We're covering team craft, product craft, and leadership craft. This episode first appeared as a live stream on YouTube. Join me every week on my channel to be part of the live cast as it happens. Search for George Fushing or Team Genius on YouTube. And now it is time for this episode. Thanks again for joining. Alrighty, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Team Genius Live episode nine. In this episode, it's all about competency. It's all about how we can ultimately break out of a pattern where we think we are at a certain level of competency, but that is not necessarily so. There were several different studies done relating to this, and one of them is about uh, driving. And if you were to rate yourself in terms of your driving proficiency, how good a driver actually are you? Then uh, it turns out that more than half the people rate themselves as uh, above average drivers, uh, significantly more in fact. And that is a statistical implausibility. It's just not possible that the majority of people are above average drivers. I have considered myself to be a pretty decent driver and then I've had a few accidents and that helped me to reset my appreciation of um, how good a driver am I and ultimately helped me to adjust my driving, uh, certain things that I've been uh, messing up with. And I have been accident free since then, but it took that time of uh, drastic learning. Luckily, no one was ever really harmed in uh, those accidents. It was always just the, the car, mine or the other driver's car that had a, a bit of a bump. But still, it w took that type of a drastic learning experience for me to work out uh, that I'm not a good a driver as I thought I was. So now I'm driving more cautiously and I'm also checking in with myself whether I'm in a good condition to drive. And if possible, then I ask somebody else to drive most of the time my uh, wife who is uh, actually a good driver and much better than I am certainly <laughs> but of course what's more interesting to us is the application of this type of concept to the world of work to product development service development in the organizations uh, that we're employed with or that we're engaged with so where does this type of thinking uh, come from? It is uh, very natural for us to, once we've reached a certain level of proficiency, to believe that we are good at what uh, we're doing. There's this old um, progression, if you will, from um, unconscious uh, incompetence to conscious incompetence to unconscious competence to conscious competence. That is a, uh, an aspect that also draws into what we're covering here. The other reason why this could be coming about is that we are stuck in an echo chamber. It's, it's particularly strong as a pattern um, when we are in just one organization. We have not seen anything else. Uh, we might have learned about how things are done. And the issue that uh, comes with that also reminding me of uh, how I learned about product development uh, when I was back in Austria. I went from customer services into marketing and from marketing into product management. And uh, in that transition, I learned from people whom I respected. They were my frame of reference. I learned the ropes from them and I thought this is how it's supposed to be done. They made an impression on me as being very competent and um, successful at what they were doing. So I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do and this was uh, basically how good it could be or how good it should be. 
And only after, for me, it was 10 years before I worked out a significantly different way of developing products. And moving from uh, one large organization in uh, Austria to taking a few more steps of different contexts and learning how things are done differently. So when we're in one context and uh, we are in a sort of um, reinforcing cycle of input, that is where uh, this pattern can be allowed to persist. Another thing is depending on how we're practicing at the moment and how we're setting our goals and achieving our goals, we can once again reinforce that we are good at what we're doing because the goals that we're setting, we achieve most of the time, ergo, we must be good at what we are doing. So the systems that we're creating for ourselves are also creating feedback loops that um, let us know that what we're doing is useful, is productive, is helping us achieve our goals. These are some of the examples of how we are creating this reinforcing feedback loop that tells us consciously or, or subconsciously that we are good at what we're doing. Within this frame of reference, it could certainly be confirmed that yes, we're good at what we're doing. However, this is where we then start to look at the frame of reference for our competency, right? Because we are creating our own frame of reference and we're staying within a certain frame of reference. So if that is all we know, that is all we seek, then as far as we are aware, we are creating this, uh, this, this bubble, this echo chamber and reinforcing that um, perception that we're good at what we're doing. And once we go outside of that and increase our frame of reference through different contexts, through um, other means that we'll go in uh, shortly, it would still potentially be good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's great or as good as it could be. Before we jump into what you could do about um, uh, widening your frame of reference or helping other people that you're seeing who think they are really competent and great at what uh, they are doing and you know because you have a different frame of reference that it's not as great as it could be, what you could do to inspire more curiosity about how great they could be. So before we go there, let's think about the impact. One of the impacts is that it's not getting better. Another impact is that um, the type of results will tend to remain the same. Another impact is that when unforeseen things happen, there will be very little uh, resilience or preparedness to meet those new challenges that are out there. Especially how the world is going, right? Things are continuously getting uh, more challenging and more uh, complex. They already have been for quite some time. It's just that not everybody is really taking time to think about how complex everything has gotten and how interdependent everything has, uh, has gotten over time. So it's quite important to work out with the people and if you find yourself perhaps also being stuck in one of those bubbles to consider what the impact is. The results that you're getting right now, if they are satisfactory, who knows how much better they could become if the frame of reference for the competency was widened and uh, made more intricate with different perspectives of uh, competency out there. So usually it not only affects um, resilience, but it also affects the level of results that you are um, achieving. And uh, I think there is no need to look for more impacts because those two on their own are already quite significant. That might in their own right provide some motivation, some stimulus for thinking about um, what we could do to come out of this pattern.
Coming out of this pattern can happen in various things. Every type of training should always be opt-in because people who come tend to be more motivated to actually be engaged and to learn rather than just to be there because they have to be there. That makes a more engaging and fulfilling experience for those who are participating. However, with that also comes then the likelihood that some certain people are not opting in because they think they are too busy to join the training. However, uh, the busyness tends to be a reason that they choose that is uh, likely to be accepted, but it is often coupled with, well, I don't really see what I could learn from there. This is something that I've been doing for years. So ergo, uh, it's not for me because I already know how to do that. Given the context, given the frame of reference and their perspective, I um, can appreciate how they could think that, but that is exactly what we're talking about here. Yes, they may have been practicing what they've been doing for quite some time. However, that doesn't mean that there's everything already uh, at a superb level of mastery and proficiency done there. In fact, if coupled with the background that the current context, the current organization is the only one that they know, it is likely that they don't really know everything that they could be about how to um, practice and uh, be proficient in the current uh, current role. So while training initiatives, training opportunities, training workshops should be opt-in, uh, it is a possibility that the outcome will be that some of those people will opt out because of this. So what can we do about that? Prior to the um, training experience itself, we could do something smaller, right? Because if the training is the first um, opportunity that they have about that, then they look at it and say, well, this is one day or two days or three days uh, out of my schedule. Before that is coming, there could be a case for a Q&A uh, about this upcoming training opportunity. And this Q&A would satisfy several purposes. One is to, first of all, draw real life challenges that the potential participants are considering and uh, one hour is easily justifiable right so what are some real life challenges that they're experiencing and another one and another key purpose of this uh, type of q a beforehand is that they get the reassurance that this will be uh, leveraging their real life challenges as scenarios in the actual training which is always something that's really valuable because then it makes it more practical more applicable more uh, more tangible the other one is also to help to seed this concept of the frame of reference for competency. However good somebody thinks that they are today, uh, how do they know how good they actually are? What do they compare that with? If they compare it to their own performance, great. But if they compare it to the performance of somebody backed by experience across organizations, contexts and um, uh, fields, that is usually something where there is a lot more appreciation for nuance, for different options of doing things and for different drives of uh, really staying at the top of the field. This sort of upfront Q&A is something um, really good that from this learning I am now recommending um, clients to build in. It's also an opportunity for the uh, instructor or teacher or mentor or coach to come in and introduce themselves to the potential participants and already start forming a, a relationship and forming rapport. And I, for my part, will include that 
even on a complementary basis beforehand to make sure that we're actually really a good fit, right? So this is this helps both sides to make sure that what um, I have to offer is a good fit for what the organization is looking for and what the participants are uh, looking for. Another strategy is to offer links to video content. A colleague of mine is uh, doing uh, Thursdays with TED, I think uh, she calls it, where she sends out a relevant video from uh, TED to the community of practice and said, uh, hey, I found this video this week based on what we've been discussing recently. Um, have a look, maybe this is something for you, right? So this provides, again, something from outside of the current context and brings it into the current context of work and helps to th uh, for people to consider what um, else it could be from outside in order to start thinking about or oh, maybe there's more to what we're used to that could be relevant for us. So uh, that's an easy thing to do. Another one uh, would be to find a selection of relevant podcasts, a selection of relevant meetups. All those things are available for free and uh, they tend to be with shorter time frames that are available there that uh, you could also include uh, like that. So uh, podcasts, meetups, uh, simply googling the thing. Uh, there are many great blogs out there relevant to um, the wonderful work of product development and service development. Something that will take significantly more effort is what is commonly referred to as communities of practice. So if you don't already have a community of uh, practice in your organization and you're not familiar with that, let me give you a little bit of a rundown. Community of practice is a community that is uh, started by the people, for the people in a particular craft or practice. So in your organization, that might be a scrum master or a um, team development community of practice where um, all the practitioners in that craft, scrum masters, agile coaches, etc., would come together. Some people who volunteer to take on the production creation, the, um, the ongoing work that's related to not only starting, but also then running the community meetings. Uh, they tend to be every two to four weeks. In some organizations, I've seen them run uh, weekly. Should not be less than monthly, then there's not really enough momentum. But uh, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, something like that would be quite useful. And the community should be um, run almost similar to a, a team, just with a fleeting, with, with a variable membership, if you will. A community will have its um, ebbs and flows, like uh, every human uh, system does. If you want to learn more about this, then uh, Emily Weber has written a book about it. It's about um, this thick. It really has a great starter for you available to either um, get started with this or reinvigorate a community of practices that has lost a little bit of momentum or steam. Um, it does require effort, but it's also hugely, hugely, hugely beneficial and a great way for you to continue your mastery internally. Um, so yeah, I mentioned the, uh, the team-related one. There might be another one for engineering practices, another one for design or whatever it might be really relevant for the um, for you as an organization and uh, the one shout out the least successful communities of practice were those started and mandated by managers so that is something that I would advise against if you are a leader for an organization and this has not come up in uh, your organization then uh, you could simply share this concept with the others and say hey people if this is something that you would like to start 
feel free to go ahead. This will ultimately help you. And if it helps you, it will help the teams. And if it helps the teams, it will help the organization. So that is an investment in learning and development that um, I, as leader of this organization, I'm perfectly happy with. Please feel free to start, uh, start them. And if you want me to help you in some way, let me know how I can help. Right. So this is a, a much better recipe for, for success than saying, hey, um, I'm now going to start a community of practice for you and you're all mandated to come. That, uh, those types of starts are correlated with uh, lower success chances for communities of practice. Just a little side note in there. So those are the key things that I think you could uh, explore in order to increase the chance of uh, people who currently think they're um, uh, good but are not as good as they could be to uh, widen their appreciation and gain curiosity about how good they could actually be. So with that, I am tuning out. Thank you very much. All the best for the practice with your team.